It's an honor to have Michael W. Stand on The Antidote. Mike, thanks for coming. It's great to be here, Dave. Great to be here. I really need to know about this. By going with Michael W., has anyone ever confused you with Michael W. Smith? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) That's okay. You know, it's a little jab. I'm just my own fun way. I can be whatever guy I want. No worries. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not quite the same type of music. I don't know, boy, he's doing pretty good, so maybe I got it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you just need his bank account instead of yours? Oh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe you're not Michael W. Smith, but tonight you and I get a chance to talk about some of the music styles you've done over, I guess guess it's not years, it's been decades. (laughs) Yeah, it's been since about 1982 when I really started. The Alter Boys, uh, 35 years. Wow, that's a long time. I didn't realize that. You realize that this makes you a veteran. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Yeah, I, I guess it does, kind of. And I don't think of myself as that. I'm always kind of reinventing what I do and kind of moving on to the next thing. Well, you brought up about the Alter Boys. In the music scene, Alter Boys was huge. What was it about the sound that got people's attention? You know, I just think we made a, a connection musically, you know, and how do you quantify that? That's really hard to do. When I really started getting serious about songwriting in, in 1980 and committed myself to the Lord using my musical skills for His glory and for whatever He wanted to do, you know, I always you know, studied songs and songwriting and how to do it. And I dabbled a little bit, but it wasn't until the Altar Boys that I really, you know, kind of started fine-tuning on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to say. You know, there's always melody, there's always your hook, there's always your content, there's always a lot of things involved in there. And I think the urgency of the band, the urgency of the message, you know, again, how do you quantify when songs connect? You're just grateful when they do, and when you get done, it just kind of happened. I don't know, I didn't realize how much we meant to people at the time. You know, we were just so busy working and doing the next record and, and playing and touring that, you know, I didn't think about, wow, this is really something. You're just always kind of moving on to the, to the next bit of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> One of Alter Boy's albums was titled, When You Are a Rebel. Did you guys personally see yourselves as being rebellious? Well, that's an interesting. When I finished that song in, in late 1984, and I keep all my lyrics, and as to when I was writing things and just kind of a chronological order, I looked at how the song kind of came into being and all the different lines. So when I had written When You're Rebel, when I was done with When You're Rebel, I showed it to the guys and I said, you know, can we say this? I don't know if we can say this. I mean, being rebellious in the scriptures it talks about being rebellious is a bad thing. So I actually took it to a couple of youth pastors. I said, I got the song we played for, hear the word, is this okay? And, you know, a lot of them said, you know, this is fine, you redefine the word rebel, this is great, it's a great song. And I remember the first night we played it out at St. Andrew's Church in, uh, in Newport Beach, and it just went over great, and it became this big anthem. But at first, this kind of work, is this okay? And I wanted it being fine. <laughs> Effectively, Jesus was a rebel, so why not? Exactly. I mean, totally. But 
the word rebellious using when we think about it, it means being a rebel against God, and we think of that more so that pops into people's heads. So we just wanted to make sure that we were okay on that. You know, we never got any grief from it, but people did ask about that, like they're asking now. Well, I guess to think about it in a different view, what about in the 80s? Did Christians view punk music as being rebellious? We never got a lot of grief. One lady at some place yelled at us one time. We got picketed in 1989 or 88 in Indiana. You got picketed? <laughs> well, you know, but it was always a surprise, because for me it was like, I, I never understood it. And But we never got a lot of grief. Some of our friends did, and other people, we didn't. For whatever reason, we're able to kind of sidestep all that controversy. I don't know. Uh, we were just very fortunate in that area, you know. So we didn't have to deal with that thing, thank the Lord. Something else that was really cool about Altar Boys is that in the 80s, I mean, it was tough for any artist with a Christian message to make any kind of headway into the mainstream. Altar Boys did that. How did you make it happen? We did. We got played on a lot of radio stations and video in different areas and played a lot of clubs. You know, it's nothing we concocted. I mean, we just go out and play any place, any time, anywhere. That was kind of the nature. I mean, when we first started the band in July of 82, within one month, July, 10 gigs. August, 10 gigs. It'd be on the beach, in a church, in the club the next night. Played a lot of high schools during lunchtime. Kids would bring us in, and we just kind of did it. And we didn't try to have any errors about who we were. We just tried to be regular guys you could talk to and, you know, let the message speak for itself. So God just opened doors for us. That's the only way I can describe it or explain it. It was nothing we concocted. It wasn't a big advertising campaign. We didn't have a budget. We just got out and played, and kind of lined up and, and worked out in that way for us. So you weren't doing what Christians are always blamed for by jamming it down somebody's throat? No. Well, the, the lyrics are pretty straightforward, pretty hard-hitting, and depending on the situation, you know, I think culture was a little more tolerant overall of Christians in the 80s, for whatever reason. And so it was okay if you're a Christian band, and to be Christian was okay. People didn't prejudge you as much as they do today, for whatever reason. So we were real straightforward with the message. I mean, I, I gave 10-minute messages sometimes during the concert, but it, it worked out in the context of where we were and what we were doing. By today's standards, we were totally jamming it down people's throats, you know. Um, but that was just the way that God used our music and our ministry back then. And I can't say it would work today in today's culture, connect as much as it did back then. The the need in people's hearts and lives don't change, but culture can change and the way to communicate can change. It's a different time back then. You know, no internet. You want to make a record, you had to pay fifteen, twenty thousand dollars or whatever to make a record. You know, you made a video and you know, you gotta find somebody who put it out and they got YouTube. So it was just a real different time. Much simpler. Technology is supposed to make life simple, but as we can see, it's made it kind of more difficult in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, we've been having our technology problems tonight. 
Yeah. Something that did change around with Alter Boys is your music, because it wasn't always punk. Sometimes it was rock, and sometimes it even had a pop flavor. Did the band really have no specific preference? (laughs) I prefer the harder-hitting things, and the band did change musically, much to my dismay. Although I was a principal songwriter, by the time like Forever Mercy came around, I'd already put out a solo record. We come off a tour, I didn't have a lot of material or a lot of energy for the last record. And so that was a real departure for us. Then we were supposed to do a sixth record, which was going to be a lot more hard-hitting, and that never materialized. So songs are done, but uh, we were never able to put it out back in 1991, which would have been... Well, retro for us, it was more like GLM. The album was called No Substitute. So technically, we could have gone jump from uh, When You're Rebel, GLM, to No Substitute, and it would have been perfectly lined up. But Guess the Grain had a few hard-hitting punk things, and and then it just kind of changed musically a little bit. In retrospect, I guess we should have learned from the Ramon, just keep it one, two, three, four, go, you know? Because Forever Mercy was mellower. It was. It was recorded totally different. In 1987, we did it against the grain. In 1988, I did a solo record. I wrote all those songs on solo record. Then when it came time for our next record, I didn't have a lot of material. And I, in fact, as we were recording, I was in the next room writing. And it was done differently. It wasn't done as a band. It was done very different. And uh had some good songs. Rick's songs were great on there. And that's why I kind of chose to redo World Burning and a few other, other songs for Alter Abilities uh, because I didn't quite like the way they came out. Again, after Forever Mercy, I had another album completely written, No Substitute, and demoed out and ready to go. And uh, it would have been much more in line as a, a perfect sequence from GLM. A lot of anthems, a lot of energy, urgency, you know, very good record. Well, why don't we get into those solo releases? I mean, it wasn't punk. It was actually, it was a lot more CCM. Yeah, it was. You know, I think the growth of the Ultra Boys kind of took me by surprise. There was a lot of cost that I didn't realize. You know, you have, a, you have an ideal of the way it's going to be, and then you find out kind of the way it is. Not to say it was, was all bad, but there were a lot of pressures that I didn't calculate at the beginning. There were costs. I didn't realize touring, the pressure of having to be a band and a ministry and moving equipment and roadie at the same time. That was hard. And I didn't calculate all that. And it took a toll on me. And made me do a lot of self-reflection. I mean, I was still able to go out there, but I was struggling inside. That Do I Stand Alone record kind of reflect my inner struggle and the self-reflection of, of who I was as a person, which was not really projected as much in a lot of the Alter Boys music. Simple expression more kind of resolves some things, where Do I Stand Alone kind of mixed it up. And so, you know, Forever Mercy was caught in between there. So I had to go back to being kind of Mike Stanley Alter Boys. But both albums came out really good musically. I think both albums were very honest, and... I go back and listen to both of them. They're quite pleasant to listen to, and they both were quite pleasant to make. Rob Watson, who worked on GLM, helped me with Do I Stand Alone, and um, Rick Elias helped a lot with Simple Expression and 
Jerry Doherty from the choir helped me a little bit. Civil Special was more self-produced. Then the 90s began, and you brought out a change in sound with Clash of Symbols. Begging at the Temple Gate called Beautiful was a great release. I mean, a full-bore rock album. And it's sort of sad that not that many people know of the band. Were you making a statement with the music? Well, you know, uh, Alter Boys essentially, with the hiatus, last concert was 1992, December 31st. Of course, we had the No Substitute record ready to go, and that was shelved when Mark left the group, and then Steve left, and it was just Jeff and I. I was like, eh, you know, I, I kind of want to move on and do something different. And then I became friends well, at the same time with a guy named uh, Rob Ryab, and him and I kind of became partners. I always wanted a writing partner. I mean, Rick and I would write a little bit, but I always wanted a, a partner. I kind of got tired of writing by myself. And Rob, real musical, real good guitar player, real good to bounce ideas off of. When he first started, we did a few things solo with me, and then we just said, you know, let's put a band together. Let's just find some guys. So we called up Matt Chapman and Steve, without a nation, and pitched the idea to them, and Clash of Symbols was born. We pulled a few songs from No Substitute and used them. Surround Me was originally for No Substitute. Give Our Hearts Back to God was from No Substitute. And then the first release, Sunday, came out, and that was pretty good. And then Big at the Temple Gate was just, yeah, it really, I think it's one of my best records. I really, really do. And it played its thing. It did what it was supposed to do, but it wasn't meant to go any further than 1996, 97. Rob needed to get out on his own and, and venture and start his, his own career. And that was a good thing for him. I really want to do one more solo record. And then I have my son, and I needed to get a full-time job and start making an income. So it played what it was supposed to do, and it was great. Well, it happened. And I listened to Begging. My son loves Begging at Temple Gate called Beautiful. And him and I are big Stone Temple Pilot fans. And um, we go back and listen to it quite a bit. Now, if someone wants to hunt for Clash of Symbols, you've got to help them out and explain how the name is spelled. Well, it's Clash, and it's out of Psalms, phrasing the Clash of Symbols, but it's, but it used that kind of symbol. It's spelled S-Y-M-B-O-L-S. <laughs> so it's symbols, like different symbols, you icons. Boy, it was a great band. God, we played so good together. Just great music. It really was. I love to play with Rob again. I keep in touch with Rob. I keep in touch with Matt and Steve, but Rob and I go back and forth quite a bit. And I would love to play with him again. He was such a good player, such a good guy to hang with. But like I said, he needed to do his own thing. And I, my son was born, and when you have a child, that changes everything. Actually, my son was born, and we played a little bit. I couldn't handle it. I just needed to be home. And that's how life interferes with art. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I, then I then I had my solo record in the back of my head. And I was writing for a new solo record. So I was incorporating what this new life was meaning, new priorities, into a new record. And did you not think that Full Circle really capped off everything you were doing from that era? Oh, I thought it was done for Full Circle. Really? I, I was, oh, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it that album, I think I started it in 97 or 98 with Gene Eugene. And... While Gene was alive, I went to the green room and uh, uh, recorded bits and pieces on tape, Full Circle, Bound the Unknown, a couple of the other ones. It really started out bits and pieces here and there, 
And um, then Gene passed away. Not long after I did the initial tracks, which was really hard, I'd spent an evening with Gene, Tim and I, and it was really hard to do it at the green room because there were always people come in and out. I just remember him and I for three, four hours just sitting and talking, and it happened with undivided attention where he wasn't all over the place. And it was a special night, and then soon after they passed away, and, um, you know, I didn't go back, and, you know, and I didn't know what to do because it was unfinished. So I don't remember exactly the sequence of things, but I remember getting hold of Bob Hartree sometime in 2000. He agreed to help me with finishing the record off, and he worked so hard on that record. And Gene had everything on tape, and I had transferred digitally. And I brought in Chuck Cummings to finish, recut some things. We added some new songs. And what a record. I mean, Full Circle, it just came out so amazing. The whole sound, the production. I, I just knew what, I, I couldn't do any better than that. He, he made it above, way beyond anything. I thought, come full circle. Okay, I'm done. I'm moving on with my life because it's not going to get any better than that. What would you say nowadays? Would you still say that's true? Oh, no. I'm completely surprised that would happen. Then in 2001-2002, I met a guy by the name of John Hulling. And I met him at church. He was walking through the church parking lot with a Ramones t-shirt on. And you just don't see that at my church. <laughs> I thought, i got to get to know this guy. I don't know him. And then at the same time, my wife was making friends with a person by the name of Wendy. And she'd come home and tell me all about her husband, who was all in the music, and I didn't meet this guy. Well, little did I know, this guy was the same guy walking through the parking lot with a Ramones t-shirt on. <laughs> and we hit it off right away. We just became friends, and my wife became good friends with his wife. You know, we just kind of hung out beside each other, you know, socially. Then he started playing with me at a uh, Bible study we were doing. He comes to me one night, and he says, hey, y'all. Uh, Mike, you know, uh, you know, I listen to your altar boy stuff. It's pretty good, but you know, you got a lot of rockabilly in there. I just kind of gave him like the RCA dog look. And, <laughs> what? Huh? Because I'll tell you what, I'll demo up a song. So he demos up against the green rockabilly style, and I take it home and listen to it, and go going, well, I never thought about that. I kind of let it set for a while and kind of listened. And so, should I play an upright? Why don't you just, let's just get together. You think, get acoustic and I'll play upright and just kind of show you what I mean here. We got together and practiced and played and kind of just messed around a little bit. I go, oh, this is really weird rockabilly, huh? I keep thinking rockabilly, kept the, the lifters and the stray cat, a little bit of Elvis. What's rockabilly? It's 50s music, right? He goes, no, 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 no. Okay, so he makes me a CD. So, I'm listening to this CD of all these guys of early Elvis, the Knitters, Johnny Burnett, Buddy Holly, Eddie Cochran. So this led to them. Before I'm knowing, I'm discovering a whole genre of music that I only had scraped the surface on. To me, it was just 50s rock and roll. And then I'm like kind of looking at it and going, wait a minute. I could do this. This is great. And I just connected with it once I got into it. So I go, you know what, this is what I've been looking for the whole time. Because you can be punk rock, you can be country, you can be kind of jazzy, you can be kind of bluegrass. And really, I just turned the corner and there it was. 
nobody stopped you to say that, no, if you live in California, you cannot do rockabilly? Oh, people kind of put up a fuss around <laughs> me. You know, well, who do you think you are? Cow- oh, here he goes. He's totally cowboy. Look at him. Oh, and now he's looking his hair back. Oh, yeah, I got all that. Where are, where are, now, you're from, you can't do this. You're too old. You are altar boys. You know, and I got all that. I just ignored it. And then that just made me more kind of diligent. So the idea of the altar billies was to take altar boys' music and just put rockabilly to it and go out and play some churches. Play once a month. No big deal. You know, and they kind of put it on Facebook a little bit. And I got a little stink from them. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not a big deal. And then before I put out a first record, which was all a bunch of altar boys' covers, basically, and recording these songs. And before I know it, I just started writing and writing and writing, and pretty soon we went in the studio. And then I wrote, I'm still standing, and I'm like, wow, that's really good. And we recorded it, and we shot a video for it, put it heading out west. I mean, to me, that's one of the best records. And, you know, my son started mixing stuff, and, and then I'm Big Boy and Aiming High, and it just kind of took on life of its own, and we're doing clubs. I had no idea that this would happen. I really didn't plan on it. It was nothing I foresaw. I was done. I was retired. I got kids. I can't do this. And it just kind of happened. And I'm really enjoying it. And I'm getting now into more into playing jazz guitar. So I'm studying jazz. I'm studying um, Charlie Christian and Wes Montgomery. And fusing me in with rockabilly. You can hear it on our latest one, Hot. Jazz guitar was always there for me, but it was something I never bothered because I could never understand it. Now I'm using it. I'm like, wow, but I'm not really great at it. So i got to figure it out how it works for me, and, and I'm studying it, and I'm looking at it, but it's really hard to do. But that's kind of my next quest and what I'm working at. The songs from Alter Billies are so catchy that a live show must be a blast. Oh, yeah. We mix it up with early rockabilly. We do a lot of covers, because people like to hear the covers. So we do have a lot of Elvis, a lot of Johnny Cash, a lot of Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent that we do incorporate. The songs work. I mean, Eamon High just comes off. It just socks you. You know, heading out west. What good song? Changes keys four times. Plus, the Alter Billies have a song that's really hot. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't yeah, resist hot. doing I mean, that. Honest, that's the yeah, song that's, title. Yeah. Well, I wrote that back in 2011, but I couldn't do a solo yet for it. So I just kept it tucked under till I could figure out how to play jazz guitar. <laughs> and you did two versions of the song. Yeah, we did a big band version. Which totally grabbed my attention. Well, yeah, and now I, I, I just wrote up the basic big band part, and then a friend of mine helped me transpose it for trombone, trumpet, and sax. And then we got some of my friends that I work with um, to come in and double the parts up. And why not? And people said, you can't do that. I, I don't need anybody's permission. Remember the 1990s and they had Swing Revival? This is Swing Revival Part 2. Yeah, I mean, it, rockabilly and, and and everything is huge here in Orange County. Uh, there's a, and it's been growing since we first started. It's quite a huge scene here, and we've kind of morphed ourselves. And then the Altabilly's name just kind of us a little bit. And I'll be honest, if I kind of gone back, I may have called us something different. I didn't ever think that we would put out records and videos and do that. I didn't have that on my radar. And we thought about changing the name or adding the E and 
So that does create a little bit of hindrance because being a Christian here in Southern California is not very popular. And, uh, you know, when they find out, man, they dish you a little bit. It's subtle, but, you know, that's why we have to be a cut above musically. And you are. We try. There's a lot of good bands here. We just try to use it as a ministry field and develop relationships and hang and enjoy what we're doing. A few months ago, you brought out something different once again with a three-song acoustic EP for Thumper Punk Records. Where did the idea come from? The idea came for that from Dave. He'd been asking me about that for a year, and at the time, we were doing Long, Long Road, and I just couldn't. It was just enough for me to record that and put that together. It took a lot out of me, 400 hours. So I just said, you know, I can't do it right now. So when I was done with that, you know, I just said, well, let's just give it a rest. Maybe after the first year, and he talked to me again. I said, okay. I'll put something together. He goes, well, you have to have World Burning on it. I said, okay. So I went back to my original tracks, checked out World Burning, which had acoustic all the way through, and that was easy to put together. didn't have to add anything to that. And then I went to kind of choosing some other tracks. I decided on Long, Long Road and Locomotive from our new release. And I had to kind of work those a little bit. I had to kind of add a lot of acoustic and kind of work them around a little bit. But I was very excited to have vinyl. I mean, it used to be vinyl, that's what you released, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's a, big, it's a big thing. I got it on my wall right now. And then my friend Ron Lara, who who designed the Full Circle Record and Baking at the Temple Gates and was working on No Substitute, designed those covers for me. And they're just, he just knocked it out of the park. <laughs> he <just laughs> did. It's unbelievable. And I love it. So, it's so retro. It really, really is. He did an amazing job. And it came out great. My son mixed it. Um, my son has become quite a uh, record engineer, so he's he's working doing that right now in L.A. back and forth. No, if you want to be really indie, though, instead of vinyl now, you've got to put it on cassette. Oh, is that coming back now? <laughs> it is. No way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy, that's, no, I don't want to tell you how many cassettes I've thrown away. <laughs> you know that song, World Burning? Yeah. You've pulled that in from Alter Boys and Alter Billies. That song title must be hitting close to home with everybody dealing with the fires in California. <laughs> yeah, it's cold. Not raining out there. <laughs> <laughs> but the song isn't at all about a physical fire. Oh, no, no, no. It's talking about the world, such symbolism and world burning. You know, how the worries and the difficulties and the challenges kind of burning their soul. Where do people turn? Man, we got an opium epidemic here in the States and, you know, hooked on so much technology. It's just a crazy time. And so people have to have some way of dealing with this burning and, you know, the sensation that that's some kind of distraction. It's a shame that people get roped in so many things that bring them down when we know that Christ is the answer. One constant with all of your projects is that they carry a Christian message. Oh, yeah. A long time ago, during an interview with HM Magazine, when they were talking about Clash of Symbols, you told them, we can be both artists and have a ministry at the same time. Music is my art, not just a tool. As a band, we're letting people know the good news of Jesus Christ. Is that still true for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm an artist, and I'm a Christian. And... God has given me my abilities. God has given me drive. 
real limited amount of abilities, mostly a drive. <laughs> and, you know, he's my reason for everything. And I put that in my music. Or if I don't put it directly, it's subtly. Or if it doesn't fit, I don't put it in. For me, I can't separate the two. They kind of go hand in hand. And, you know, people that see the alterabilities, they know it. We don't sit around and, and drink beers. We try to have integrity, but we're not above anybody. That's not what we think. It's just for us, you know. And we've got a little rule in our threesome here, you know. When we go play, we have the freedom to have a beer, but we don't. Just for us. We just don't want the appearance of any kind of evil or situation that's going to cause anybody that's a Christian there to stumble. But that's us. I can't speak for anybody else, you know. But again, when you're going back to the original question, music's my art. But I always put what's important in my art, too. Jesus is important. And that's where we kind of are. We're kind of right. We don't really fit in the Christian music, because I don't know if it's worship right now or a country or I don't know. And we get a little bit deft even around around Orange County. But once they get, people get to know us, they're okay with us. You know, and they say, you know, I was first I was kind of in your name, and, uh, you know, now we get to know you, we see that you guys are cool, and, and so we get a problem while, while other people kind of leave us out purposely and, and subtle. It's, it's subtle, but it's there. I wish it wasn't, but those are the cards I've been dealt, and like I said, this is a surprise to me. I didn't think I was ever going to really write any decent songs again. I think I'm Still Standing is one of the best songs I've ever written, period, in a whole album. And I just am grateful. Mike, you've recorded so many music styles, rock, punk, rockabilly, pop, even as we talked about big band. Is Mike Stan going to surprise everybody one day by making a metal release? <laughs> <laughs> you know, metal's not that far from rockabilly. They're really close. <laughs> You never know, but I do have a few surprises up my sleeve, and uh, everybody will be very much surprised, <laughs> and um, I've hinted a little bit, so we'll just leave it at that, and uh, you'll be one of the first to know, I promise. <laughs> I'll hold you to it. If it all comes fruition, that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to say anything, because I don't like to do anything unless I can follow through, I know what's going to happen. So... I'm being cautious. We're prepared for another surprise. Okay, it'll be a good surprise. If it happens. So if I don't say anything, well, then no harm, no fall, right? <laughs> Mike, thanks for coming to The Antidote. This has been great. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for letting me reminisce and just talk about my history, and I'm just grateful. 